Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. WSBT Radio Studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Also alongside is Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at Inside Indie Sports. We welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Wednesday, December the 13th of 2023. Many platforms have us available right now. The old-fashioned way on the radio, 960 a.m. at WSBTradio.com, the WSBT Radio app, video feed of the studio on the Twitch app. You can get... The podcasts on all the places you get podcasts, including there are links when Eric is on the show on the message boards at InsideIndieSports.com. That's true. I would not lie about those things. <laughs> well, it's good to have everybody with us. Still lots of news happening surround, surrounding this Notre Dame football program that's getting set for a bowl game. In 15 days, it's kind of like on the back burner it with everything seems else. Like it's on the back burner. I mentioned last night, if you listed 10 things happening with Notre Dame football right now, it feels like the bowl game's number 10 with everything else happening with this program. Well, it's great to have Eric with us because I'm going to pick his brain about several things, including the big story of the week. And I think it's fair to say it'll be the big story of the offseason. Duke quarterback Riley Leonard yesterday saying, you betcha, to the Fighting Irish. And he is their starting quarterback for 2024, unless somebody ups their game and beats him out. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but Riley's coming to town to take over as the Fighting Irish starting quarterback. But we're going to begin just to recap what has happened today. If you are not someone that's on social media, you've missed a lot today. 
A lot of things have happened surrounding this Notre Dame football we'll team. We'll catch up. We'll catch up right here in this segment. The first off is not going to surprise you. We've been expecting it. Today was the day it was announced on social media. But Notre Dame offensive tackle Joe Alt is off to the National Football League. He's going to bypass the Sun Bowl, and he'll get ready for the NFL draft where he could be a top 10 pick in the 2024 National Football League draft for a guy in his freshman year that started on the bench, got inserted into the starting lineup, and Eric, that freshman year was the year Jack Cohn was the starting quarterback, and there were moments that you felt like Jack Cohn might have gone to the bench, even though I'm not sure it was warranted. The offensive line was kind of a mess at that time. Joe Alt was part of the solution, and from that point on, Eric, he took off, and he has elevated his game to be in the conversation for the one of the best offensive tackles in recent memory for this Fighting Irish football program. And and it's really interesting with both both Blake Fisher and Joe Alt because underclassmen have been able to go into the NFL draft since 1989. And among true juniors, no offensive lineman from Notre Dame had ever taken advantage of that. Other positions had – and you've had Quentin Nelson, who had a fifth year that he turned down, for example. But you didn't – and Ronnie Stanley, too. Quentin was close, but there were yeah. things he believed yeah. in Brian Kelly that you talked about way back when. But but now, all of a sudden, you have two in the same year. So two juniors, two junior offensive linemen going to the NFL. All right, so Joe Alt couldn't have done it any better. He was absolutely fantastic, and probably tomorrow – we can call him consensus All-American. Can ca- to- call him unanimous All-American. He's already a consensus. Okay, so it'll be unanimous consensus. <laughs> I don't know. And he won everything. How about well, that? <laughs> there are there are more than a hundred consensus All-America selections in Notre Dame okay. history. He would be the thirty-fifth, and Watts is in line too, the thirty-sixth. So you're talking about five guys in the 2000s that have been mm. unanimous All-Americans. Never a safety, so Watts would be the first. And Joe Alt would be the second offensive tackle joining Aaron Taylor since two-platoon football became a thing in 1965. You know what's interesting, and I'm not degrading the award, but isn't it interesting that if you have an MVP of the Irish defense, it may not be Xavier Watts, even though he won – the big honor in the Nagurski. Yeah. You can make an argument Howard Cross was the yeah. MVP of the team on defense. You could make that argument. And it's interesting because Howard has been very consistent. He has gotten, of the big five All-America teams, which the fifth one is tomorrow, the Coaches Association, he's been second team on four, all four of them to this point. So, which doesn't get you consensus or unanimous honors. It gets you a big pat on the back and probably a nice little plaque. <laughs> but, I mean, kudos to him. I yeah. mean, walking in the door, that was a three-star defensive end that a lot of people thought would never play, and here he is, a second-team All-American. He was one of those guys that was probably more well-known because he's the son of a pretty good New York Giant tight end back That's in the day. Right. And he turned out to be a great player. and. Now there's kind of another giant tie-in that we'll get to in a moment. Okay. So, Joe Alt to the NFL, no surprise. Linebacker Jack Kaiser is coming back for a sixth season with the Fighting Irish football program. This is an interesting one. I wasn't sure what he was going to do, 
But here's a player that is taken off the field a lot, but still at the end of the day had 59 total tackles, a pick, a sack, and pro football focus, if you believe their work, he was the best defensive player ratings-wise in their system that Notre Dame put on the field in 2023. Yet he was not on the field at all times for Al Golden's defense. So how would you put into perspective getting Jack Kaiser back, what it means to whether it's Al Golden's defense or somebody else's defense in 2024? I think this is one of those sneaky, super significant returns. Uh, I think he's one of the most, not just on Notre Dame's team, one of the most underrated college football (laughs) players there is. I mean, consistently with pro football focus, every week it would be like incredibly productive and not that many opportunities. He made the most of it. And then you get this leadership piece. You get um, the knowledge base, you know, institutional knowledge base with this huge wave of athletic up-and-coming linebackers, the perfect guy to say, here's how it's done. Position flexibility helps Position flexibility, you know, so, you know, he will get a shot at probably either inside position. We'll see what the best fit is, how that shakes out. But he's going to play a lot, and he's going to contribute a lot. I mean, I think that was uh, – and, and he went into the season thinking this was going to be his last year. I think a couple of things changed. He didn't play as much as he would have liked to. And Maris Leofal leaving, I think, affected him. I think the thought was Maris would want to come back, build his – NFL resume, yeah, because Jack Kaiser has like 86 degrees um, <laughs> from Notre Dame. I'm serious, um, and so this is this is one of those moves that are, I think, nationally under the radar. That's really going to help Notre Dame if they can. If Xavier Watts comes back, this is that would be as. And then Riley Mills is still out there too. Yeah, I mean, that's they right. They could be a really, really dominating defense, no matter who's coordinating. You and I will coordinate it next year and have a dominating defense, and then we'll get criticized by ourselves on the radio show. <laughs> yeah. Why did you change my call? <laughs> my goodness, I, I was bringing the the safety blitz on third down and seven. Why, why did you change it? It never goes wrong, Eric. Well. I'll just call Jack Kaiser the consensus week-to-week leader at Pro Football Focus. How about that? I think that's great. All right, we'll do that. Also today, from the transfer portal, Notre Dame picked up Duke defensive end R.J. Oban. He's 6'4", 260 pounds with the Dukies last year, 17 tackles. He had five sacks last season. So is this the perfect way for Marcus Freeman, Al Golden, whomever, to fill some vacancies left behind by Javante Jean-Baptiste and also, I guess, Osafa Mensa as well? Right. This is a plug-and-play addition for Notre Dame. You can just say, okay, this is going to be our starting field end next year. And what the hope is that he has – a similar growth curve to what uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste had this year. Big. Which is big. I would say this, walking in the door, Oban is above where JJB was walking in the door. 
Um, he's had many more opportunities, has much more experience. Certainly a, a big guy in terms of sacks. He needs to round out his run defense, just like JJB did. And I think that's certainly possible in this defense. And really behind uh, RJ are a lot of really intriguing ifs, but they're ifs nonetheless. You have Aiden Gobira coming off an ACL. You have maybe Brennan Vernon, maybe Tyson Ford moving back out there. You have Bryce Young coming in yeah. as a freshman. So you have a lot of talented guys. You could certainly move one of the Vipers over, but he really stabilizes that position. Now if Riley Mills comes back, you have all that depth at Viper. You have Riley Mills, Howard Cross, and a guy – R.J. Oban, who gets pressure on the quarterback at the other defensive end spot, I think that's a pretty nice place to be. And then if you have Xavier Watts, Benjamin Morrison, Christian Gray, uh, Jaden Mickey in your secondary, and then probably a portal safety, and you think about all that talent at linebacker mixing with Jack Kaiser's talent and experience – Suddenly you go, okay, well, they probably can get a defensive coordinator to coach them for free. When you started at the South Bend Tribune, had I told you in the decade of the 2020s that a big part of adding players to the Irish roster would be coming from Harvard, Northwestern, and Duke, what would have been your reaction back then? (laughs) Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. Um, Yeah, I never envisioned the portal thing because – players weren't transferring to Notre Dame. There weren't even scholarship-to-scholarship transfers with guys sitting out. You'd have guys sometimes coming from the Ivy League, walking on and then earning a scholarship. Or, you know, eventually you started getting into it with really rare exceptions. Amir Carlisle was one of the first ones. Jordan Prestwood, who didn't last, interestingly enough. Uh, Alohi Gilman. And then all of a sudden the portal era came and everything changed with football, which is unsettling to a lot of people. There's so many changes coming in at so many different areas. It's hard when you've grown up loving the game as it is with all these changes. It's hard to kind of take them all at once. But then you look at those of us in the media, it's made December quite intriguing. Like I said to you, I think recently – We used to spend December asking questions. What is the offensive line going to learn in these 15 bowl practices? Now we don't even talk about the bowl game. We really don't. Well, and that's another aspect that's changed in the chat. I don't know if we'll get to those types of questions. Maybe tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. But, um, you know, it's it's more of a preview of 2024 than it is. Here's an explanation point for 2023. Really, when you do the post, and our poll does not vote post-bowl, the AP poll does, how much do you factor in the bowl games when they're not really the teams that played all year? Little. Yeah. Personally, no. It's it's very, very minimal. In fact, you look at some stats that came out today, and I, I don't remember who posted it. I think it was Brad Powers, actually, that the teams who have lost the most players entering the bowl season, Notre Dame and Oregon State were both in the top five. (laughs) I think 20 combined. 
between the two schools. And then this little nugget just a little bit ago, Pete Thamel reports that Arizona State quarterback Drew Pine is enrolling back at Notre Dame in January for the spring semester to earn his degree in American Studies and minor in Business Economics. He will not play football at Notre Dame this spring and plans to graduate in May. So we just have a reunion. If you played quarterback at Notre Dame, you're coming back. We got Tyler Buckner playing lacrosse. We got Drew Pine wrapping up his degree. So your 2022 quarterbacks are back on campus. (laughs) Just bizarre. Really, really bizarre. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, I want to dig into... Riley Leonard picking the Fighting Irish, Notre Dame's new starting quarterback. Eric and I chatted for probably 10 minutes about this on the phone yesterday. It was supposed to be only two minutes. I kept blabbing, and it lasted 10 minutes. I'm glad Eric appreciates my conversation because he could have hung up on me. But I want to ask him what he thinks this means for the Irish offense. And there's just so many other things that go along with Riley Leonard and how this is all going to work. We'll dig into some of it. Probably the whole story is like reading War and Peace, but we'll try to narrow it down into a 20-minute segment next (laughs) here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chased by Gamble. 20, 10, what a run! Here's the fake, Meyer looking, Meyer finding the other tight end, Irv Smith, touchdown. Fire, fire, rocket, touchdown, Irish. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Alongside Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. While you're listening to the program, you should log on to InsideIndieSports.com. For more detailed information on everything that we are talking about on tonight's program, that's InsideIndieSports.com, part of the Rivals Network. And one week from today is National Signing Day. So that'll be a rip-roaring day at InsideIndieSports.com. If you want to use that as your tagline, rip-roaring, rip-roaring time at InsideIndieSports.com. Well, I'm sure yesterday was a rip-roaring day with all the hits people wanting to get the latest information on the big news of the offseason here in South Bend. The Irish have their quarterback. Marcus Freeman wanted a fourth scholarship quarterback, and he has brought in Riley Leonard from Duke. It felt like as soon as Leonard went into the portal, this is where he was going to end up. When you see that, don't contact me in the portal. (laughs) He had somewhere in mind, and you know what? Aha! <laughs> it was the University of Notre Dame. So, Eric, let's just dig into this because I think this is a, a fun conversation. Right. Riley Leonard is not the best quarterback in the portal, but in my estimation, Eric, from the ones Notre Dame could get, he is the best. That's where I start the conversation. They got a really interesting quarterback, and I don't know if you agree with this. We haven't talked about this, but – I don't know if this is a fair thing to say, but I'll start it by saying this. Knowing what we know now, I look back that maybe Notre Dame got a quarterback in Sam Hartman who had reached his ceiling. You get a guy in Riley Leonard from Duke, I feel like there is a ceiling 
that he has yet to achieve or has the possibility to get to that level. Whether he can get there here is something we can talk about in a moment. But you watch, like all of us, Riley Leonard play against Notre Dame this year. We also watched him kind of dazzle us against Clemson in the first game of the year. Against Notre Dame, he was 12 of 27, but he faced the number one pass efficiency defense in the country. So a lot of quarterbacks had a rough day against Notre Dame. Let me begin by asking this. What do you believe Notre Dame is getting in Riley Leonard? Let's start with your Sam Hartman-Riley Leonard comparison. Okay. Let's look at through the NFL lens. Mel Kuyper had Riley Leonard as a potential first-round draft pick going into the year. Whether you think that that's silly or not, it's he changed. never had Sam Hartman. Right, but he never had Sam Hartman in that no. bracket. I would say still, if Riley Leonard said, I'm ah, just kidding, I'm going into the draft instead, he would get picked ahead of Sam Hartman. Agreed. So you are looking at somebody with better traits and tools for the NFL game. Now, how about college game? I think in some ways he also has that because of his running skill set. Now, where Sam Hartman was more of a sure thing was you have all this leadership. I mean, you have a guy that his year at Notre Dame, he was a fourth-year captain, a guy that got better with his passing every year. Even at Notre Dame, it was slightly better passing efficiency rating that he had at any of these years at Wake Forest. In a new system, um, but again, Riley Leonard six four, Sam Hartman's about six one, right? And and so he projects differently. Now, will he get there? That's kind of Notre Dame's job and his job both. We talked on the phone yesterday about the three Heisman finalists, and I shared with you their stats. And if you looked at their stats, now this is from two years ago when Jaden Daniels was at Arizona State, uh, Michael Penix was at Indiana, and um, and then Bo Nix was at Auburn. Or Eagle. You look at their stats, Oof. none of them were guys that you would be jumping up and down about. I mean, they would <laughs> – yeah – I mean, Tyler Buckner had as good a statistics as those guys did, but there was certainly great material there, and I think that's what you see in Riley Leonard. There is potential here to, that he can bring out in himself and that Notre Dame needs to bring out in him. And these other schools were able to do that with these three quarterbacks. Now, again, they had them for two years. Notre Dame only has Riley Leonard for one. But certainly they made – I mean, Penix made an incredible jump in one year at Washington, and I, we're going to have Mike Varell on tomorrow, and we can talk to him about that. Um, Jane Daniels was more incremental. Bo Nix was more incremental. But it was still a significant improvement. So that's what I think is possible with Riley Leonard. I think Notre Dame fans are skeptical because – Sam Hartman delivered the numbers, but he didn't deliver the fairy tale. And that's what they wanted. They wanted the surprise season because Sam Hartman was here. And I understand that because we've been saying the missing piece is a 
quarterback. The missing piece is a quarterback. Well, the missing piece came, and there were other missing pieces. The problem was the fairy godmother lost the slipper on the way to the ball for Sam Hartman at times. That's right. If you know where I'm going. Right. So there was this inexperienced wide receiver core. There was a little bit more growth curve with the offensive line. You had a offensive coordinator that was kind of finding his way and there was no backstop for that and so it didn't turn out to be you you look at those three games that Notre Dame lost those were all winnable games Notre Dame could have had that storybook and so people were like well why should why not Steve Angeli he looked pretty good he threw 75 percent of his passes when he was in there and and I don't disagree that Steve Angeli progressed a lot. I think Steve Angeli was happy Sam Hartman was here because he learned a lot. And he's going to get his opportunity to play in the bowl game against a diluted Oregon State defense with a diluted Notre Dame offense. So um, The one thing I do like, for the first time, a team will fully prepare to defeat Steve Angeli. When he comes in and mop up roles, they haven't planned for him. Right. This will maybe be a game somebody will try to take something away that he does very well. I'm not sure Oregon State can do that, but this is the first time he will be game planned for, and I'm really interested to see what Oregon State comes up with and how Steve Angeli reacts. The ideal scenario, in my opinion, Darren, for Riley Leonard is is that he develops as a passer in Notre Dame's offense, that he becomes a much better than average passer. He's pretty average passer right now. He gives you one skill set already that helps you defeat the loaded box, and that's his running ability. You can load the box against him, and Notre Dame was able to get work their way out of it, sometimes with the in-book, sometimes with Deshaun Kaiser, where they didn't necessarily have to have that downfield. But, boy, when they had both – like 2015, bingo. I mean, that was what you really wanted. Could you give our listeners a great example? And this was fantastic when you told me this yesterday, but the hurricane game down in Clemson, if I'm not mistaken, that's the right game? Correct. When Notre Dame, they were getting stuffed. C.J. Procise couldn't do anything against that Clemson defense. The Irish switched up how they attacked that loaded box and what you saw that night, Eric, you believe could be sort of a trump card for the Irish this year with Riley Leonard. Right. So Notre Dame got down in that game with crummy defense and crummy offense, and then they were working their way back. And Clemson was stuffing their traditional run game. And, and this is Nick Martin, Ronnie Stanley, uh, Quentin Nelson, younger Quentin Nelson, younger Mike McGlinchey, but, I mean, a pretty darn – offensive line full of pros and they were getting stuffed and so Notre Dame went to the quarterback running game with Deshaun Kaiser and they also started throwing to CJ Procise who had been a wide receiver and got him on the edge and they crawled back into that game and were a two-point conversion away and some bad two-point conversion decisions prior to that but a two-point conversion away from getting into that. It was a similar scenario against, and people will laugh now, against Temple, but that year, 2015, Temple was a top 25 team. Matt Rule was their coach. They had the defensive player of the year, um, and they were really difficult to run a traditional run game. And again, 
Deshaun Kaiser in that game became the antidote. So in the Clemson game, he was Notre Dame's leading rusher, 55 yards on 14 carries, one touchdown. Um, and his passing, he was about, you know, a little over 50%, a couple of touchdowns, threw an interception, got sacked four times, so that took off of his running yards. But he was the reason Notre Dame got back into that game. And C.J. Procise did a great job. He had four catches for 100 yards and one touchdown, rushing the ball, 15 carries, 13 yards. That's how much Clemson stuffed their running game. So not only could they load the box, they also had NFL front four, too, and front seven. And so Riley Leonard gives you an answer to that. But again, if he can give you two answers to that, that's why Notre Dame's 2015 offense was so effective all season because they had Will Fuller on the outside. They had a running game, and then they had Deshaun Kaiser. And what they didn't have was a defensive coordinator, and they had Brian Van Gorder, and that cost them from getting to the playoff that season. I'm going to read something to you. As we talk about Riley Leonard joining this Fighting Irish football program, you lay it out. He is a dynamic runner. He is physical yep. running the football. The game against Notre Dame, he did not have a great passing day, but he was a difference maker. He turned the game around when Duke decided to give him the football more, kind of like you were just talking about in the Notre Dame games. So I asked an analyst who has broken down his film just to give a couple of thoughts on Riley Leonard. My main question was, how would you describe his arm strength? I call it adequate. Was I being fair in that analysis? And the analyst told me, yes, good enough, not elite. He has zero elite traits. He has good traits, but nothing elite. Ball placement is below average, and his deep ball throwing is below average. Now, on Twitter, I made the comment when all this was announced, when people started talking about, and I did not agree with this, that Riley Leonard can make all the throws. Now, you can make all the throws once, Eric, but that doesn't mean you make all the throws. You have to do it consistently. So I asked someone that you are familiar with that knows a whole lot about Duke football this question. Is the narrative that Duke's lack of skill caused Leonard's passing numbers to suffer while at Duke? Is that fair or off the mark? And they responded, eh, there's some accuracy in that. They got better play from the wide receivers last season than this one. But I agree with the point you made on Twitter. If he could make all of the throws, he'd be going to the NFL. Right. That doesn't mean Notre Dame's getting a bad football player. That's not what I'm saying. I just don't want people to expect he's going to be throwing darts all over the field and the RPOs are going to be rolling and they're going to throw play action against man defense and it's going to be spectacular. He has the capability, Eric, I think, to do that. But what we have on tape right now shows he is not a complete passer. Again, with his pedigree running the football, I would call him a high football IQ guy. Physically, he's ready for the NFL. The missing trait is consistency throwing the football. I even had someone say this to me, that he's in book 2.0 to an extent. He'll read the first progression, and then he'll take off and run. That's one person's opinion. Not saying that's fact, but that's people I've asked giving me their assessments. So of all that information I gave you right there, do you agree with any of that? Does anything stand out from that conversation? I think there's 
a lot of um, a lot to like in that conversation, and and I'm looking at Gino Gadulli is a big piece in this too, um, because he developed a guy that was very similar in skill set to Riley Leonard, and that's Desmond Ritter. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at Desmond Ritter's <laughs> college stats, his passing efficiency stats, and how much better he got over the years. Um, he you know, from his sophomore year to his senior year was a huge jump uh, in terms of his decision-making, in terms of his accuracy. Um, and so this will be helpful. This is a player that's in Gino Gadulli's wheelhouse in terms of I can help him with the run game, I can help him with the pass game, I can help him toggle back and forth. What will be interesting is if his skill set helps Jared Parker and you, you would say, well, wait a second, isn't he, Jared Parker supposed to help Riley Leonard? I mean, that's going to be his assignment this winter is to retool Notre Dame's offense to make the best out of this guy. Yep. Now, again, I think he gives Jared Parker some answers against the loaded box. Yes. But Jared Parker's job is to give him checkmate instead of check with the loaded box oh yeah well I can run it and I can also beat you that's also incumbent about some other things happening like Notre Dame Notre Dame's new tackles being pretty good which there's a lot of talent there but you're losing Joe Alton and Blake Fisher with Chris Mitchell from Florida International being a true deep threat on the outside and the other receivers kind of stepping up as well. Notre Dame's still shopping for another uh, portal-wide receiver. They already have two. So there are some other things, and certainly, you know, that Notre Dame's running backs that Jeremiah Love and the other guys are what you think they are going to be, Jadarian Price and so forth. But it's really interesting because Gino Gadulli is a big part of this. And when you look at the rest of the depth chart, most of these guys kind of have that skill set. C.J. Carr's a little bit more dual threat than he's probably given credit for. Okay. Kenny Menchie is definitely. Yeah. Deuce Knight is the <laughs> dictionary picture of dual threat. <laughs> so this is a good thing for Jared Parker and Gino Gadulli kind of going down this road. I'd say Steve Angeli's the least dual threat, but he's not a statue either. Eric, I think you can add some context to what I'm about to say, so I'll start the conversation. You can finish it. Lost in the shuffle, and I am not making an excuse for Sam Hartman. It's going to sound like it, but I think if we put ourselves in going to a new job and the person that is going to train me is new to the company and they're learning along the way, it's going to be very difficult on me, the new employee, to figure everything out because the guy training me still doesn't know everything. Well, That was a big thing of last year, Gino Gadulli was learning this offense as right. he was teaching Sam Hartman. In fact, I think last summer you had a conversation right. with Sam Hartman about that. Right, and and he um, bailing crossed his mind. I mean, uh, this isn't what he signed up for, and he felt he called it thin ice. And but he believed in the team, and he believed in his teammates and Marcus Freeman that this would turn out okay. You know, it'd be interesting when we get a chance to talk to him next, which I'm not sure when that will be. But 
Um, it would be interesting to talk to him to see if he felt like he got what he thought he was going to get out of the experience. I think, I think he wouldn't regret it, but it wasn't what he signed up for. He was signing up for a more experienced um, offensive coordinator and somebody that had coached quarterbacks at Notre Dame. That's what he thought he was getting, and he, and he, didn't, he didn't get that. And it no. was a difficult thing. And learning a, a new system with footwork. I think Geno did a pretty good job with him, and I think, I think that uh, Sam would say that. And Riley Leonard, you could argue, has a better chance to succeed here because Gadouli has now been in the system for a year, and you could say he is better prepared to help Riley Leonard understand what Jared Parker is expecting from him. I know there was RPO principles in that Duke offense, and you would have to imagine that Jared Parker is going to take advantage of that. You would hope. I mean, this is such a big offseason and big year coming up for Jared Parker. And I think we'll get to the Twitter question later that you had yesterday, which is kind of an interesting question. But I would say this. I think – Riley Leonard and Sam Hartman know each other well enough that Riley Leonard asked his opinion about what he was getting into, and he must have at least said good things about Gino Gadouli in terms of developing quarterbacks and yeah. and must have at least didn't say, oh, my gosh, by all means, avoid run. Jared Parker. Run, <laughs> run. No, this isn't the place. The other thing that's interesting about Riley Leonard and Bo Collins is is this a is this a litmus test that Notre Dame's admissions is yes. doing? Is it a start of a trend because they are admitting two juniors who don't have their degrees with one year of eligibility left? This is n- kind of new territory. Brandon Joseph kind of fit into this category. And you could say, well, Riley Leonard, high academic school, Clemson, and this isn't a slam against Clemson, um, but it's not looked at in the same bracket as Duke and Northwestern in terms of academic credits transfer. Well, they're not getting into the Big Ten. Right. And and so there's a safety that Marie brought up in chat, Marie from Atlanta today, that uh, Notre Dame could look at who is in that same boat. All of a sudden, is that door open to Notre Dame? If it is, this changes everything in terms of the transfer market from Notre Dame. Now, they can't get everybody, but players in good standing um, that that are junior have finished their junior year, that was a hard no before. That was a hard no. Riley Leonard to Notre Dame. And you get all these parts coming in, and I hope I'm being fair. But I just worry sometimes we as fans see all these parts come in and just magically think it's all going to work because we're fantasy football managers and you just plug in players and it magically works. I mean, Eric, a lot is going to go into this. You got players coming from different systems. Florida International is more up tempo. Did they run things close to what Notre Dame does? There's just a lot of learning curves for everybody, and it's just tough. The first game is against Texas A&M, who, oh, by the way, their head coach knows how to beat Riley Leonard. He does, but they have their own – well, they have Carter Carls to deal with. (laughs) But they have their their own – I mean, have you seen how many – Oh, goodness. It's like Carter Carls is 
he's getting married in May. I don't think he's seen his fiance <laughs> since the portal opened <laughs> because of all the exiting portal guys that they have. Bet you all those guys made sure that last NIL check came in. Well, you know, that's one of the things that's kind of interesting because some of the people that follow Texas A&M maintain that these guys signed an NIL contract that they'd stay at Texas A&M and they are leaving anyways. Hmm. So it's pretty interesting. I know there was a situation. It's not Notre Dame. I'm going to make that point. But I was told the story there was a college basketball player that decided to go into the transfer portal during the season last year and waited to announce it several weeks to make sure that final check came in. And as soon as he got that final check, he bolted. That's college sports where we are today. Eric Hansen, publisher, editor, InsideIndieSports.com. Read more about Riley Leonard and the breaking news from today at InsideIndieSports.com. Again, Joe Alt to the NFL, Jack Kaiser returning, Duke defensive end R.J. Oban is out of the portal and picks Notre Dame and last for a good reason, but still kind of newsy. Drew Pine back at Notre Dame, but not going to play football, just going back to school. Twitter question of the day coming up, 552 on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett with Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. 557 on this Wednesday evening. We have reached our Twitter X question of the day. I now label it the Sports Beat at Sports Twitter question of the day because you <laughs> send it out to your listeners and now we get a new variety of opinions on everything involving Notre Dame athletics. So yesterday I asked a two-part question. Part one, do you like Notre Dame picking up quarterback Riley Leonard? Part two, do you believe the current Notre Dame offensive coaching staff will get the most out of Leonard? And I also had to add in or another transfer portal quarterback because if you said you don't like Leonard, I had to kind of give an avenue to answer part two of the question. Make sense, everyone? I hope so. So basically, you could answer yes, 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 no, no, yes, no, no. Here's what happened. We start with fourth place in the voting at only 2.5%. They voted for no, I don't like Riley Leonard being picked up by Notre Dame, but yes, the coaching staff would be able to get the most out of whomever the transfer portal quarterback would be. Interesting. I didn't think that would get any play. It got a little Third place in the voting at 9.8%. They voted for no, I don't like the picking up of Riley Leonard, and no, the coaching staff would not be able to get to the most out of the transfer portal quarterback. Must have been a lot of Michigan fans voting or something. All right, so now we go to second place. 41.8% said... I like Notre Dame picking up Riley Leonard, and yes, I believe this offensive coaching staff will get the most out of Riley Leonard. Winning the vote, 45.9% said, I like Notre Dame picking up Riley Leonard, but no, I do not believe the current Notre Dame offensive coaching staff will get the most out of Riley Leonard. 
honestly, I'm not surprised. In fact, I thought that might get a little more play. We had almost 800 votes in this poll question. So people must have understood it. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I was kind of worried about that. So, Eric, what's your reaction to the numbers, and, and where do you fall in this particular question? I, I think it's interesting that that many people were on board with Riley Leonard and happy that he was coming uh, because I we've certainly got a lot of – the people that don't want to see a transfer portal quarterback are pretty loud, and it was – Obviously, a loud minority. I, I I realize these aren't scientific polls, but I think it it reflects what people think pretty well. Um, now, I will give you my answer, and I think it might surprise you. I said yes. I love the uh, acquisition of Riley Leonard, and I said no. Uh, and the reason is they have to prove it to me. Um, they put themselves in that position. I'm not saying they can't, but I think it's fair to say you got something to prove. I said that about Al Washington last year. He proved and he it. Proved it. You bet. Yep, he did. And I give him credit for that. I would have voted the same way as you. Yep, he can come and dance on my lawn. <laughs> I almost look at it this way. Out of the, all the guys in the portal, is Leonard my favorite? No, but I do like the pickup. But I think the bigger question is what I asked. Can these guys get the most out of him? And I'm just not convinced. Who it would, has to be proven to who me. Who would you like better? Oh, do you know? The Ward kid from Washington State yeah. is just dynamic. He is, but he doesn't give you the running dimension. That's what's I understand. interesting. I, I think he maybe has it in him, but he certainly hasn't done it in his career. And he's he's fantastic. I love him. Justin Fields didn't run. I'm sorry. C.J. Stroud did not run a whole lot at Ohio State until the Georgia game, and he's carried that on now to the NFL. He's actually a pretty good carry of the football. Yeah. Some, some guys I mean, show it differently. Trevor Lawrence, they didn't let him run, but, I mean, he was a really good runner, and he ran against Notre Dame. Yeah. And he ran in some games where, where he needed to. So, I think the bigger story is the coaching aspect of this. I do, too. I really do. It's fascinating because, again, Jared Parker needs to show improvement, but he also needs to retool that offense. And it's just really, really fascinating where that's going to go. And now you have a new wide receivers coach, Mike Brown, who's coaching in the bowl game. So they'll already get a taste of that. Like we did at Cincinnati. He had some guys that were not highly thought of and turned them into good players, like Alec Pierce, yeah. now with the Indianapolis Colts. So he has a track record. Right, he does have a and track And so that's record. why you give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. Others haven't proven it. They don't get the benefit of the doubt. Okay, today's question. With Riley Leonard at quarterback, do you expect the Notre Dame offense to be better in 24 than it was in 23? It is a yes or no question. And based on how people voted yesterday – the answer today, what I've seen so far, the straw poll, totally the opposite. Well, I mean, <laughs> you you have to consider what's lost around the quarterback. If you said Sam Hartman's coming back for a seventh year, he's going to be 30. And uh, I think the answer would probably be no, just based on who you're losing on the offensive line and elsewhere. So I'm going to say... 
No, but I do think in the big games it does have a chance to be better. And that's where it counts. I mean, running up, you know, having big numbers against FCS teams and group of five teams doesn't matter if you can't win the big games. And we still have three weeks before the portal closes. So there could be a guy or two chasing cash. Who knows? And if they leave, then it changes the dynamic once again. So if you'd like to vote on today's question, just go to Twitter slash X and find my account at 960-SPORTSBEAT. And I just reposted it, so it'll be on my too. Thank you so much. And your X account is? E. Hansen, N.D. E. Hansen, N.D. Okay, before I get to what's coming up at InsideNDSports.com, obviously if people listen to our program way back when or, or now, the sound effect I love using when we're having one of those moments is, you know, this. We love the movie Coming to America, right? Yes, we do. Have you heard about the tie-in to Monday Night Football? You were doing your podcast on Monday night, but do you know what happened? Mm -mm. The New York Giants kicked a game-winning field goal as time expired to beat the Green Bay Packers. Eric, you should have known this was going to happen because Eddie Murray told us, Eddie Murphy told us way back when. Listen to this. Sir, I was wondering, did you happen to catch the professional football contest on television last night? (laughs) No, I didn't. Oh, it was most exhilarating. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. And in the end, the Giants triumphed by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big H. It was a most ripping victory. <laughs> Is that perfect? <laughs> did you watch the sequel to... I did. To... Yeah, that was that was amusing. It was good. No, yeah. it was good. The second time around's tough. Caddyshack yeah. 2 might be the worst. Yeah, Caddyshack 2 worst was the worst ever sequel. The biggest drop off. That was yeah, that was so disappointing because Caddyshack is in my top 5 movies oh, ever. Ultimate. Ultimate comedies coming to America is right there. You must be out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but anyway, I just thought that was awesome. I mean, the fact that, that is that is amazing, unreal. All right, let's get to this particular soundbite because it tells us all we are about to learn what you should expect when you go to Eric's website, Tyler's website, Charleston's website at InsideIndieSports.com. Well, if you want to read the number one story trending on the entire Rivals Network right now, click on my chat transcript on the future of bowl games, Notre Dame's portal patterns, lots of other things we discussed today. We have a story on linebacker Jack Kaiser returning for the 2024 season. Story about Duke transfer R.J. Oban. Tyler talked to R.J. about why he picked Notre Dame. Uh, Xavier Watts and Joe Alt becoming All-Americans and much, much more. All at InsideNDSports.com. We've got football on December the 28th. Sir, I was wondering, did you happen to catch the professional football contest on television last night? (laughs) (laughs) Notre Dame and Oregon State. It'll be a 2 o'clock kickoff, and I forgot they're kicking off at noon in El Paso time. That's got to be a tough one. Hopefully they will not have snow removal issues this time. Do you remember what they used last time? Tell the story. Do you remember? 
Yes, they took lunch tables, turned them on their <laughs> sides, and pushed them across the field to remove the snow. And they did a pretty good job. Were you at that game? No. Okay. It was Al Lessar. We were talking about it on game day because Al, I think, phoned in and told yeah. us they're taking right. tables yeah. to get the ice off the field. I told that story recently, and somebody said, why didn't they go like to Walmart or something? I'm like, I'm not expecting Walmart in El Paso, Texas, to have anything that's going to clear off ice. <laughs> Maybe yeah. some hot tamales, but that's about it. And El Paso is not close to any place that would <laughs> no. normally. That, yeah, that, that was crazy. Maybe the Zambonis at the Dallas Stars games. That's about all I got. All right, I'll let you out of here. We'll do it again tomorrow. We'll talk some more football. Sounds great. That's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideNDSports.com. He knows about kicking oblong things through those H's. There's no doubt about it. More sports beat coming up in a couple of moments on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. We continue on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Wednesday. We are being brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers. Happy holidays from United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. By Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. This holiday season, give the gift of hope to a hungry neighbor. Learn more at FeedIndiana.org. Sportsbeat also brought to you by Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. By the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And by South Bend Orthopedics, trusted in the community for 75 years. It's going to be really bizarre next year. When we hear this sound, it will not be for the SEC on CBS, a long-standing tradition in college football. The SEC is going to be the property of ESPN ABC, and they will get all the big ton contests. I know today on Good Morning America, it was announced that the Georgia Bulldogs go to Tuscaloosa to take on the Alabama Crimson Tide September 24th next year at 730. Unlikely ABC. So the great SEC games no longer on CBS. When you hear this sound, it's going to be like a number two or number three Big Ten conference game. NBC played a ton of money for the Big Ten primetime games. And you look at the roster of games that they had, less than spectacular, to say the least. Notre Dame, Ohio State, that was like their best primetime game. And that's part of the Notre Dame package although they used 
the number one NBC broadcast team that particular day, which now magically weaves us into this conversation. Have you ever been on Twitter, or maybe you found the website, but it's called Awful Announcing, and it holds announcers across the country accountable for things that they say, things that happen in sports. It's a fun website. They actually have some really good stories from time to time, talking about other aspects of broadcasting, but they do a lot of good stuff. I I enjoy their content. Well, they have a yearly vote for, in this case, college football fans. And the website, which tracks the good and missteps of sports broadcasters, they do a survey to vote on the best, the eh, or the worst college football broadcast teams. So we're talking about the major networks, ESPN, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. So the survey was conducted, and here were the top five. I'll tell you, first of all, the Fox broadcast number one crew of Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt were not even the most highest-ranked Fox broadcast team. They came in eighth place in the voting. I think Joel Klatt is really, really good at breaking down a game. He is one of those analysts that I feel like I learn something when I hear him speak. I also enjoy his podcast. does a great job of covering college football. So I really like him. I think Gus Johnson is one of those broadcasters. You either really, really love him or you want to turn down the sound. And I think that affected their voting as they were only eighth in this vote conducted by Awful Announcing. So here was the fan survey the top five broadcast teams in college football. Coming in at number five, a brand-new broadcast team, kind of a rookie and a veteran put together, Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge, the number one NBC team. Again, they were the ones that did the primetime Big Ten games, and also they stepped in wisely for the Notre Dame-Ohio State game, replacing the Irish regular broadcaster. So, Eagle, I think, has a ton of potential. His dad is a famous broadcaster, Ian. I think Noah gets a little dry from time to time but knows his stuff. They actually also called the game over in Ireland as well, if I'm remembering correctly, Notre Dame and Navy. So NBC's number one broadcast team came in fifth in the voting. Fourth from CBS, the number one broadcast team for all those big SEC games, Brad Nessler and the old Boilermaker, Gary Danielson. Danielson will not be on CBS anymore. He has signed on to continue analyzing SEC football for ESPN ABC. I would assume he would be their number two analyst behind Fowler and Herbstreet. So good for Gary Danielson. He is sticking with the SEC. But Nestler Danielson, CBS's number one broadcast team, number four, they're rock solid. I really enjoy their broadcast. I mean, they get to broadcast in some very special places in the SEC through the years. That's going to change for Nestler now big time. In fact, I think their first game this year was like Indiana, Michigan State, and Bloomington. A little different from going to LSU, Georgia, Auburn, the Swamp. Number three in the awful announcing survey of the best college football broadcast teams, Fox's number two team 
came in third, and that is the multi-versatile Jason Benetti and Brock Heward. Benetti, of course, known as the voice of the White Sox on TV until he is no longer there. Now the voice of the Detroit Tigers. Heward, an old Washington quarterback. Nothing, I would say, spectacular about these two, but Benetti's just so good, witty, handles the big moments so well. Benetti and Heward, I think that was probably the big surprise. They came in third in this voting. Second, Sean McDonough and Greg McElroy. They did a couple of Irish games this year. You always get a premier broadcast with McDonough and McElroy, and they are ABC ESPN's number two team. They'll be calling the Washington-Texas National Semifinal on January 1st. And the winner of the vote by awful announcing the best college football broadcast team, it was Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet. They are the guys that really get front and center for all the big matchups on ABC, ESPN. They get a national semifinal and the championship game. I think Herbstreet has evolved into an elite analyst. He does a terrific job on the NFL games, working with Al Michaels on that prime video Thursday night game. And I think he's elite. I keep reading that he hates Notre Dame. I just don't hear it in the broadcast. That's my opinion. But I think he's really good. And I think he carries the broadcast. I've never been a big Fowler play-by-play guy. I think he stumbles in big moments at times, gets scores wrong. And he get he got way too excited when Notre Dame was losing in a game last year. That's one I usually don't get caught up in all the broadcaster. He's rooting against the team because I don't buy that. But there was a game last year. Fowler was way too excited when Notre Dame was not doing well. So I get maybe he's anti-Notre Dame, but not Herb Street. So that's how the voting panned out. If I had my say, here's my top five. I agree with the public. My number five is Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge from NBC. My number four is from ABC ESPN, Joe Tessitore and Jesse Palmer. I think Tessitore is one of those play-by-play guys that knows when to get excited and knows when to lay out and let the pictures tell the story and bring up the Nat sound with the fans and the band reacting to a big play in a game. Now, Tessator, when he used to do Monday Night Football for a year, that didn't work. It just felt too collegiate. But I love it when he does the college football game because I can tell he loves it. He handles those exciting moments with really, really interesting calls, and I just find him a fascinating listen. Palmer's very, very solid as well. My number three college football broadcast team is Fowler and Herbstreet. Again, it's not because of Herbstreet. I just brought that team down because I think at times Fowler just misses moments in his broadcasting. Number two, I'm a big Nestler Danielson fan. I think they are just a great team that is now going to be broken up due to all the changes in the TV contracts. And number one, I think McDonough McElroy is the best in the business. You will hear it during the Washington-Texas game. He's had some really good calls of Notre Dame games the last few years. They put McDonough and McElroy together, and it has absolutely worked. And I'm glad they're getting a national semifinal because, in my opinion, the best crew should at least get one of those games. And I'm happy to know that McDonough and McElroy will be front and center. So this awful announcing 
basically had the fans survey the 20 top broadcast teams. Now, we're not going deep into FS2 and ESPNU and ESPN+. Plus. Those are not involved. We're talking about the major 20 broadcast teams. Everybody had a chance to vote. Guess who came in 20th? Do you have a guess? As you're driving around or listening at home, I have a feeling a majority of the people that just answered out loud, whether they're sitting by themselves or not, said Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett, Notre Dame broadcasters on NBC. And you're right. Coming in 20th, dead last, was the NBC team. Ahead in the voting of Collinsworth Garrett were these teams. How many do you recognize? Eric Collins and Devin Gardner. Rick Waltz and our guy Aaron Taylor from Notre Dame. How about the Matt Berry-Dan Mullen combination? How many games did they do together? I honestly don't know. They were ahead of Collinsworth and Garrett. Alex Faust and Petros Papadakis were ahead of Collinsworth and Garrett. Faust is an awesome hockey play-by-play guy. He did college hockey. I got to know him, went out and did L.A. King games, and now he's doing a lot of national stuff. And also ahead of Collinsworth and Garrett in this vote, Corey Provis and Jake Butt all got more votes than Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett. To offer a perspective, the only broadcast team during the awful announcing college football survey or any type of broadcasting survey that got a lower score than Collinsworth and Garrett was the 2018 train wreck of a Monday night football booth of Joe Tessitore, Booger McFarland, and Jason Witten. Remember how awful that was? I mean, Witten was a disaster. One of the great tight ends in NFL history just couldn't figure out broadcasting. So in all the years of this survey, the only broadcast team that got a worse vote than Collinsworth and Garrett was a broadcast booth that was known as a train wreck. Collinsworth and Garrett received half of the A and B grades of a team directly in front of them. Half. And they received F grades four times higher than the second highest percentage. Not only did people not like them, they couldn't stand them. This team has been together for two years. And I think Jason Garrett gets brought down in this vote by Collinsworth. I think Jason Garrett, put in a right position, would succeed. And you know what? I said that during the season, and I got a chance to find out whether I was right or wrong, at least in my opinion, because a couple of weeks ago, Chris Collinsworth took time off from Sunday Night Football on NBC, and they paired Mike Tirico, as good as anybody, with Garrett. And you know what? Garrett was really good because if you're not in broadcasting, let me tell you, the play-by-play guy gives you the play-by-play, but also the good ones, the great ones, set up the analyst to succeed in the broadcast. Tirico is as good as anybody in TV history of doing that, and I thought Garrett shined. But when he's paired with an inexperienced guy who seems like he's so focused and trying to figure out the play-by-play, he doesn't set up Garrett. And I think Garrett gets brought down because of that. We have dealt with this for two years. The play-by-play is boring. The exciting moments sound like that they were the most simple plays in the world. 
prime example, what, two years ago when you had Benjamin Morrison taking that interception back 90 yards for a touchdown against Clemson? It was like it was just a running play up the middle. It's unacceptable. And I don't understand why this is acceptable that this is what we're getting broadcasting the premier, or if not premier, top five all-time college football programs. It's unacceptable. I don't know if this is a push by Fighting Irish Media, if this is an NBC decision. Kurt Bavacqua was running NBC Sports. He's now going to be the new AD. But this has to change. This is not what Irish fans should expect. And they are selling the Notre Dame product, and it deserves better. And I don't know if anything's going to change. I highly doubt it. They've got now Collinsworth doing Big Ten games on Peacock. So NBC is all in on Jack Collinsworth. So it doesn't sound like anything's going to change despite the complaints from Irish fans, despite the voting for something like this. I think he is your guy moving forward. Maybe it'll change, but I don't get it. I wish I had a better explanation for you. It's it's really, really disappointing, and it's more noticeable. As soon as Notre Dame plays the next week on another network, you're like, wow, this is kind of refreshing. Awful announcing is the website, and that broadcast team that is in South Bend six times or so a year, they came in last. 6.35, some NFL conversation coming up. Also, we'll recap the Notre Dame football stories of the day here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sports Beat continues with four downs on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Touchdown! All right, let's talk some National Football League for a moment. We'll recap the Notre Dame football news coming up in a moment and some sports wagering talk. But the NFL getting very interesting as we are now in mid-December. And here are some Notre Dame football topics. Our first down question today, are the three best teams in the NFL currently in the NFC? And the answer is definitely yes. The 10-3 San Francisco 49ers, who demolished the Cowboys. The 10-3 Dallas Cowboys, who split with the Philadelphia Eagles. And the third team is the Philadelphia Eagles. Right now, they are the three most complete football teams in the NFL. And they all just happen to reside in the NFC. And only one of those three teams are going to earn a bye in the playoffs out of the NFC. One of those three teams is going to be a wild card team because somebody has to win between Dallas and Philadelphia in the NFC East. The other goes to the wild card Even though Dallas kind of holds the spot now, the Eagles, if they went out, will win the NFC East. Then you look at the AFC, there are good teams, there are capable teams, but you just get a lot of inconsistent play. The Dolphins lead the AFC East, they're 9-4, but then on Monday night, they lose at home to 5-8 Tennessee. And you look at their wins, Chargers, Patriots, Broncos, they're actually good now, Giants, Panthers, Patriots, Raiders, Jets, Commanders. That's the Dolphin wins. And now their losses, Bills, Eagles, Chiefs, Titans. We cannot trust the Miami Dolphins. And Tyreek Hill went down with an injury Monday night. Their offense looked totally different, less dynamic 
without number 10. In the north, the Ravens are 10-3, but they've blown some leads that led to head-scratching losses. They have been good on the road this year, 5-1, and one, and you look at their point differential, plus 143, that is number one in the AFC. Notre Dame's Kyle Hamilton, the great safety, suffered a knee injury on Sunday. It sounds like he's going to be back, but he has turned into the player we thought. Just a fantastic player in the back end of that Ravens defense. In the AFC South, Jacksonville is 8-5. The Colts and Titans are 7-6. Jacksonville, when we start to think they're good, then they stumble and lose to two teams with backup quarterbacks, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. Jacksonville's going to play on Monday night against the Ravens. That'll be fascinating. And then you got the AFC West. The Chiefs, the defending champs, are just 8-5 and and only one game ahead of Denver who's 7-6 after starting 1-5. The Chiefs, only 292 points scored this year. That is sixth in the AFC. And Patrick Mahomes, one of the few quarterbacks that stayed healthy. Receivers dropping the football, ineffective tackle play, penalties, and the Taylor Swift curse. It's like the Drake curse on Toronto sports teams. Ever since Taylor Swift has hung around Kansas City, things have went downhill. And all of us in the AFC West that root for our teams are thankful. I'm giving you the heart sign, Taylor Swift, that sign that you do. Right back at you, girl. Keep up the good work in Kansas City. But the Chiefs do have a favorable schedule coming up at New England, Las Vegas, the Bengals, and at the Chargers. They should win all four of those, although the Bengals, with the way Jake Browning's playing at quarterback, you never know. Second down question, the top three candidates for NFL MVP. Here's my top three. Number three, Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott, 69.3%, 3,505 yards, 28 touchdowns, six interceptions. The interceptions are down. The offense has been the best in the NFL point-wise so far this year. Didn't play well against the 49ers. The biggest game for Dallas Dak was 14 of 24 for 153, a touchdown, three picks. That adds into Dak being number three. At number two, Dolphins receiver Tyreek Hill. His worth was shown Monday night when he got hurt. The Dolphins' offense was totally different, less dynamic. Hill, 97 catches for 1,542 yards, 12 touchdowns. And my MVP favorite right now is 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy. Mr. Irrelevant from a couple of years ago out of Iowa State. I know he's not flashy like Mahomes or Josh Allen. The kid's just making great throws, and I know he's got great talent around him, but watch the throws he made last week against Seattle. He's at 70% completion percentage. He's got more passing yards than Prescott, 3,553, 25 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and in the Niners' biggest game against Dallas, Purdy went 17 of 24 for 252, four touchdowns, no picks. Purdy is my guy going into week 15. My third down NFL question, four games to watch in week 15. There's not a lot to choose from. This is not a dazzling NFL week. And a week in which there's a Thursday night, three on Saturday, Sunday, and a Monday. A lot to consume. So the four games to watch, we start Saturday at 4.30. The two teams are not great, 
but it's important in the AFC. The Pittsburgh Steelers at 7-6 at the Indianapolis Colts, who are 7-6. That game will be on 96-1 the ton Saturday at 4-30. Steelers offense, even with Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, being fired. <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky taking over for Kenny Pickett. Bears fans, you knew how that was going to go. Still not great offensively. They just look like a team that's ready to lose out. And the Colts? Had their winning streak snapped last week by the Cincinnati Bengals. Colts are overachieving at this point. The loser, it feels like, with all the teams jammed together at 7-6 and six right now, are going to be put in a tough spot when it comes to tiebreakers down the line. I think the Colts will sneak out a win at home. Next game, Saturday at 8-15, the 7-6 Denver Broncos at the 9-4 Detroit Lions. Sean Payton has turned around Denver. The culture has been changed. The quality of play on defense. This was a defense that gave up 70 points to the Dolphins earlier in the year. Last seven games are giving up 16 points per game. Most takeaways in the NFL the last seven games with 18. They're number one in third down defense. This defense is for real. And Russell Wilson kind of does enough on offense. And who are we in Detroit now? We were ready to crown the Lions. But then the last couple of ball games, they just didn't get the job done. The turnovers have popped up. Now, Jared Goff in Soldier Field, cold weather, not great. Expect now back home. Do the Lions refine their magic? A month and a half ago, this looked like a walkover. Now, Denver is a threat to at least have a chance to win this game in Detroit. Sunday at 425, rematch of the Super Bowl from the early 90s. Dallas Cowboys at 10 and 3, the Buffalo Bills at 7 and 6. They won in Kansas City last week. Now the Bills at home against Red Hot Dallas. Cowboys, unbeatable at home, susceptible on the road. It's going to be actually 40 degrees in Buffalo, so the Cowboys catch a break. It's a must win for Buffalo. If Dallas wants to win the East, they need to win it, but this game means everything to Buffalo as they try to continue to dig themselves out of a big hole they put themselves in. And the other game to watch in Week 15, Sunday at 8:20, the Ravens at 10 and 3 at the 8 and 5 Jaguars. Jacksonville just 3 and 4 at home this year. The Ravens on the road, 5 and 1. Mm-hmm. All right, now to fourth down. Bear with me. Keyword bear. The Chicago Bears are trying to rebuild their franchise. They're going to try to do that through the draft once again this spring. And I think there's a path to rebuild quickly. Number one, the defense has played really, really good the last month. Matt Eberflus, the head coach, is a terrific defensive coordinator. Head coach, I think we're leaning toward a path that he's better suited to be a D.C. Montez Sweat. Acquired from the Commanders, three and a half sacks in four games with Chicago. Sign long-term, major addition to this Bears defense that's been really good, and it looks like a defense that could be good next year. Change your head coach, find the best offensive mind with quarterback developmental skills, and make him basically a roommate with quarterback Justin Fields to try to help him become a more complete quarterback. We know he can be a difference maker running the football, needs to be more consistent throwing it. But he also needs help, which leads to this. 
They're going to get the number one pick because the Panthers have won one game. Trade that number one pick. Don't draft a quarterback. Stick with Fields. Accumulate all those picks from that number one overall pick and use those along with their other top ten pick and then start restacking the wide receiver and the offensive line to give your quarterback a much better chance to succeed. If you like that path, if you don't like Justin Fields, you don't like that path. If you're sticking with Fields, I think there's a path. If the Bears draft correctly and make the right trade with that number one pick, they could be set up to make some major additions to their roster. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 